following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Well, one of the main Christmas decorations that's probably found at almost every single one of our houses, if your house is decorated for Christmas, is a nativity set. A nativity set, I know we've had decorations up for almost two months now. A nativity set has been a part of that. And I had a friend who uh, several years ago would blog and collect creativity, creative nativity sets that he found online. And it went kind of viral about eight or nine years ago. Several news organizations picked it up. And I thought I would show you this morning some of the more creative nativity sets that he came across throughout the internet and that exist in real life. The first one is this, um, which is called a hipster nativity set. My favorite is the selfie with the peace sign in Starbucks with Jesus, right? That's, that's just perfect. Apparently, you legit could buy this somewhere, which is crazy. Uh, the next one, which is a rubber ducky uh, nativity set, this would be my three-year-old's favorite one, I think. If we had this, she would, she would love it. Next is a more abstract uh, concept, which is kind of weird, but I, I kind of like it at the same time. Like, you know what it is, even though you don't know what it is. It's pretty cool. Uh, the next one is just a chocolate one. That would not make it to Christmas Day in my house. That would not make it to Christmas Day. The next one is just kind of strange. Um, Frankenstein, apparently. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Uh, this next one is the oddest one to me. It's the angry nativity set. Notice even baby Jesus is somehow angry. I didn't know you could make kids let little look angry, but he, he looks quite upset. Or, you know, how did Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph and the wise men get around? Well, clearly they were road tripping together in a car. Uh, so so the, there's nativity sets, and one of, the, one of the key parts of most nativity sets, certainly the one I have in my house, and most likely for you as well, are the wise men. And this morning, we're gonna look at the wise men and the story that picks up um, in Matthew chapter two. And it says this in Matthew two, starting at verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Wise men, sometimes just known as magi, were, were common, and we see them throughout actually scripture existing. Joseph in Egypt consulted with wise men or magi. Daniel, when he was in Babylon about 600 years before the birth of Jesus took place, and he consulted with magi, with wise men. And sometimes we, we love to debate and to research and to think, what, what was this star that the Magi saw? Was this a natural occurring phenomenon? Was it an alignment of Jupiter with other planets that just looked at it? And the great thing is this, we don't know. Don't believe anyone who tells you they're fully convinced otherwise. We, we simply don't know what it is. But the Magi saw this and they saw the star from the east and followed it to Jerusalem. Now what's interesting is one of the earliest prophecies of the Messiah being born is from a prophet who came from the east into Israel and said this in the book of Numbers 24, that a star shall come out of Jacob. A prophet from the east prophesies of a star and about 3,000 years later, wise men from the east see a star that is the significance of Jesus' birth and come to find this king. Verse three when, when, it, when Herod, excuse me, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him. Now, Herod is not troubled because he's saying, how did I miss the star? And these guys saw it. Herod is troubled because he is a troubled person at this point. Herod the king had been king over Judah for over 40 years and was a highly successful king. Many military victories, great building campaigns that he rose. But later on in his life, which this is near the end of his life, became a very paranoid ruler. Paranoid as much that other historians would tell us that Herod had murdered multiple of his close family members, including his own wife and two of his children, because he thought they were after his throne. And so Jerusalem is troubled because they hear of a king being born and they're like, Herod's gonna do something stupid, isn't he? Herod's gonna do something, and that's why they are troubled. Verse four, Herod assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod calls those whose jobs it was to copy, interpret, and teach the Old Testament scriptures, and they have no problem finding this for him. It's in Micah chapter five and 2 Samuel five is what's quoted here to Herod, that it's in Bethlehem, which is just a short distance, about 10 miles or so, if not even less than that, from Jerusalem, where this king would be born. Verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared so he could get a guess as to how old this child would be. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. Worship him or not, or do something else. Verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream to not return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, we sometimes like to wonder, when, when exactly did these events of the Magi coming to Jerusalem and traveling to Bethlehem, when did they take place? Now, we, we aren't for sure on exactly when. The Bible doesn't give us dates and months and years of everything. But we're 99% sure this was not that first night that Jesus was born or even the first few weeks of his life. Most likely this was within a few months, possibly even Jesus being one or two years old at this point. And now you may be saying, well, hold on, but I thought, I thought Mary and Joseph had to stay in a barn. So you're telling me you give birth to a child and you camp out in a barn for two years? Like what's going on? But what actually, the, the room, that the Bible, excuse me, the word that says in, we think of through our Western eyes and ears, right? We picture Mary and Joseph showing up to check out the Marriott booked, Hilton booked, Holiday Inn Express full, even the Motel 6 was checked out. They're like, all right, well, I guess, I guess the only next thing is to stay in a barn with some animals. But the word that is translated in and other places in scriptures actually translated the guest room. 
And what had happened is Joseph's family was in Bethlehem. They went, so many other family members had arrived that the guest room, which had been the top level of the two level homes, was full of people. And so Mary and Joseph then had to stay in the bottom level where the animals were let in at night and spent the night there. And so thus, after she gave birth, the other relatives left and they moved into the guest room, most likely, and stayed in Bethlehem for some time. And so it's during some time after this where these magi come, and they open and give him gifts. Now, again, how many magi are there? We don't know. There's three gifts. Maybe there were three wise men. Maybe there was just two. Maybe there was 25. We, we don't know how many there were. But they offered Jesus these three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And Christmas gifts have long been a practice as we celebrate Christmas, from this first Christmas celebration for many, many years ago until even now. Right, that Christmas gifts are a fundamental part of celebrating and thinking about Christmas. And in giving gifts, there's a few different things that have to happen first. And the first thing when it comes to gifts is there's someone who gives the gift. There's someone who decides to go out and give the gift. Now, all of us know someone who is a fantastic gift giver. Now, if you're wondering if this is you, if yesterday you decided to start your Christmas shopping, that's not you. You're not a great Christmas gift giver, all right? But for some people, like I'm married to one, my wife is an incredible gift giver. And so, so what constitutes someone who gives incredible gifts? Well, it's, it's thoughtfulness, it's attention to detail, it's love and care that they're willing to personally do something for every single person and not just go out and buy the same gift card. That's what I, my suggestion is for Christmas. We'll just buy everyone Amazon gift cards. Apparently that's not good enough for everyone. But to get pay specific details for everyone else. And what's amazing is what the Bible says that God is actually the best gift giver of all. In James chapter one, verse 17, it says this, every good, and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift you've ever been given, every blessing in your life is a gift from our perfect and gift giver, God, that you didn't deserve, but he has given and he has blessed you with because he knows you, he loves you, he cares about you, that all of the blessings in your life are gifts from God that he has given to you. And so there's the gift giver. The next thing in the gift giving process is the gift itself. Undoubtedly at your home, like it is mine, under your tree is filled with gifts. And now this is my second Christmas having two kids and I'm discovering the more kids you have, the more gifts there are under the tree. It just keeps exploding more and more. Now think back to your childhood and some of the favorite gifts you got when you were young. For some of us, this is thinking back a few decades. I don't think anyone in here, this is over a century, but maybe, maybe close to it, right? But none of us are quite that old. Think back to when you were young and some of the very best gifts that you ever received. Maybe it was a Barbie doll or maybe it was a Lego set. Kids, this is your job later today when, we, when you go home from church, ask your parents what their favorite gift was when they were a little kid. Ask them what they loved. When, when I was thinking about this, I, I thought back to two Christmases for me when I was young. There was one where I believe I was in second grade and, and we had distributed the Christmas gifts, everyone had opened them and then my dad found one more gift that he had for my brother and I. We actually have a picture of me with the gift. That's cute little Michael, by the way. I think that's second grade. <laughs> 
Michael. And you can see over my shoulder, there's a little box with a person playing hockey on it. That's NHLPA Hockey 93 for the Super Nintendo. The amount of hours of my elementary school age years that I spent playing that hockey game on my Super Nintendo, I I have no idea how many hours it was. But I distinctly remember how excited I was because that's the gift I wanted. And I played that game so much for so many years. The next Christmas, when I was in third grade, I remember walking out Christmas morning to an incredible gift. It wasn't wrapped, it was just sitting there under the tree, and it was the first time I got my first mountain bike. Now, if you know me, this is a long journey to now me spending thousands and thousands of dollars for the rest of my life purchasing mountain bikes up into, I haven't bought one in like three months, right? So (laughs) my parents, if they only knew what they had started 30-something years ago when they gave me that first bike. But I remember looking and seeing this bike and saying, that's mine? Oh my goodness, how, how, how it feels to have that gift that is so great that you will remember for the rest of your life. See, this first Christmas of Jesus coming into the world brings us the greatest gift ever, which is the salvation that's possible for us because Jesus has come. That because Jesus has come in the flesh, lived the life that you and I could not live, the perfect life, and died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. Salvation is a free gift that's now offered to you and to me. Ephesians 2 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, when you give someone a gift, by very nature of the word, you're saying this is not what you deserve, but this is something flowing from my heart. You don't give gifts to people based on how well-behaved they have been. If that was the case, a lot of parents would be saving a lot of money this Christmas season. (laughs) We give gifts based out of love from our heart for others. So why did God send Jesus? Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it. He sent Jesus because of his love for you. That no matter where you were, no matter what you've done, that this greatest gift of salvation is now possible for you and for me. Romans 6 says this, for the wages of sin, what we earn, what we deserve is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That God is the greatest gift giver and the best gift ever offered to humanity, offered to you and to me this Christmas is the gift of salvation in Jesus because of his life, death, and resurrection. Now, There's one more part of the Christmas giving process that we haven't talked about. There's the one who buys the gift. Then there's the one of presenting the gift. And the last one is the one that all the kids are most looking forward to this weekend, which is opening of the gifts, right? It's not just that the gift has been given or offered, but it must be received. It must be opened for it to actually be truly appreciated. Now, to help me demonstrate this this morning, actually, I need a volunteer. So is there a kid this morning who wouldn't mind coming up and say, she's at least nine or 10 years old? Nine or 10 years old. Do you wanna come? All right, right here. This is, this is what you get when you come and sit right down front. You get called up on stage. Come on up, come on up. She's taking her jacket off. She's getting ready. This is serious. This is serious business. All right. Is that a Hogwarts? That's awesome. I love it. What, what's your name? Amelia. Amelia. How old are you, Amelia? Nine. Nine? She meets the requirements. All right. So, Amelia, there's one task, one thing that I have to make sure you're able to do to help me this morning. Are you able, have you ever opened a Christmas present before? Yes. 
Yes. She is perfectly qualified for this job. That's good news. All right. So, Amelia, here's what I need you to do. For right now, hold onto this. Can you do that? All right, she can hold on to this. Now, here's what happened. I went out last week out of the goodness of my heart and I purchased a gift, meaning I opened the Amazon app on my phone and I bought something. I then wrapped it by saying I wrapped it. I asked my wife to wrap it because you don't want to see me trying to wrap a present and have it on stage. That would look horrible. So my wife wrapped it. But here's the thing. Does this gift really do much for you right now, Amelia? Probably not, right? Because I bought it. It's wrapped. But she doesn't know what it is. It's not for her to enjoy. It's just sitting there still wrapped in the box. This is what it's like to know that God is the giver of all good things, that God sent Jesus to this earth, that salvation is possible for you, but you've never actually believed it yourself. To know it but not to believe it is like seeing a gift and leaving it under the tree on Christmas morning. It does nothing for you, but you have to actually open it. You have to receive it. You have to make it your own for the gift to make any difference at all. Do you want to open the gift? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Amelia, you can open it. Don't worry, you don't have to reuse the wrapping paper, you can rip it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we have to save the paper, so. There we go, there we go. All right, it is, uh, it is a drone that's shaped like a pterodactyl dinosaur. Your parents are gonna love it, I promise. It's gonna be so much fun at home. All right, can everyone give Amelia a round of applause? Thank you, Amelia. You're welcome, you're very welcome. The question for you this morning isn't, did Jesus come? Isn't, did God present to you the best gift ever? It's, have you made that gift your own? Have you placed your faith in Jesus for salvation? That gift is offered to you and to me regardless of what we've done, regardless of our backgrounds, of of our beliefs, regardless of anything in your life, no matter where you've been, The gift of salvation is freely offered to you and to me this morning. And the question is, will you receive it? John 1, 12 says that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God loved us so much, he sent his son into the world and salvation is now possible for you and for me. If only we would receive it and believe it for ourselves. Jesus came into this dark, broken, hurting, and messed up world to shine God's light and to bring you and to me back to God. In Matthew chapter four, speaking of Jesus, it says this, the people who were living in darkness have now seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In just a moment, we're going to light candles as we sing together. And just as candles will light up this room, Jesus is the light of the world that brings each and every one of us back to God. So this morning, as we light candles, would you stand with me as we celebrate the gift of salvation that's possible for us because of what Jesus has done for us? Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.